You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. We'll come now to our sermon text, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through the end. Uh, Last Sunday, we looked at the genealogy, and now after the genealogy, we come uh, to the birth of Jesus Christ, where the genealogy uh, ended. Uh, So here are these words from uh, Matthew's gospel, from verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, we come to this, what is likely a very familiar passage uh, to many, uh, Joseph's uh, version of the uh, birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's interesting to see that Luke focuses on Mary, whereas Matthew focuses on Joseph. I think that bears out as well in the genealogies, where Matthew's genealogy looks to be the royal or the dynastic line, following all the way through Joseph, that Jesus is the rightful king the rightful son of David, where Luke's genealogy seems to be following through Mary's line and shows Jesus' genealogy through Mary. And so we we come to this section here where Matthew then tells us uh, how it actually came to be, how Jesus' birth came to be. And I always think it's just interesting to ask the question, why? Why did Matthew include this? And, And what is the purpose uh, for us. I think it's always a good way of when you look at the scripture, why was it put here and, and what does it mean for us? Before we, we dive into the text, part of the reason that I believe that this is here is that it does help to avoid scandal, as we'll see throughout the text. Uh, Mary would have been with child before she was married to Joseph, that the child would have been evident to everyone that this was not Joseph's child. There'd be scandal surrounding this. And so I think Matthew here highlights for us that far from being scandalous, it's actually amazing what has taken place. That Jesus' parents are are righteous and Jesus' conception is miraculous. But I think also, as we'll see throughout, Matthew is highlighting the fact that Jesus is the rightful son of David, that he's adopted by Joseph. And he's in this this long line uh, going all the way back to David and beyond. I think finally, Matthew just sets it here as this is a great place to start. You think of the rest of the gospel of Matthew and all of the things that that transpire, but here he sets the stage that Jesus, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born uh, as the adopted son to Joseph, the son of David. And then all of this ministry flowing out from these great prophecies. And suddenly what we can do is when we come to this section, right, we just basically are expectant of even more to come through, gospel, through Matthew's gospel. Well, asking the question, what's it here for? Well, that's probably the point of the sermon ultimately. But I think what we can see in here is that we see really Joseph's righteousness as we'll look throughout this. Joseph is given a rather tall order to trust, and yet he is obedient to God. And so as we look at this, we get Joseph's perspective here on the events uh, that happened. And the section uh, really divides up quite nicely into Joseph's dilemma in verses 18 through 20, uh, Joseph's dream in verses 21 through 23, and finally Joseph's decision, 24 and 25. And so we, we come to this, and we have to really think through the dilemma that Joseph finds himself. Uh, Matthew begins, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. I mean, we know the rest of the story. We know the miraculous events that take place, right? We're falling right on the heels of the genealogy. But you have to go back with me to think of Joseph and his perspective in all of this event, that they're betrothed together. This is more than our engagement. This is a, a contract that was entered in with witnesses that they would be married. Uh, so it's a very serious thing. And actually, the only way to get out of this contract was to actually have a divorce. And so this, this betrothal is something that uh, we don't really have a, a category to fit this. They were almost basically married without having engaged in uh, that which makes them married. And so Joseph here is, is, he is going to be married to this woman, and suddenly she's with child. She's pregnant and clearly pregnant. And it's, it's quite likely, too, that Mary and Joseph hadn't spent much time together. They would have been heavily chaperoned so that nothing improper could happen. And so, then Joseph finds this uh, bride-to-be pregnant, and you can think of what Mary was saying, I, I have not been unfaithful to you. And you can think Joseph in, in, in trying to be and understand the situation going, but there's clearly proof that you haven't been. We all know where babies come from. And so we, we, we as the audience, we have more information than Joseph does. But you think of from Joseph's perspective. He's now in a, in a bind here. He's supposed to be married to her. But she has clearly uh, committed adultery. And then if Joseph brings this up for himself to avoid the shame, Mary could almost be killed for this. Uh, this is a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. One of the options would be for her to be publicly stoned. But also, if Joseph were to keep the child and adopt the child, well, then he would be uh, exposed to great public shame because it would be evident that this child was born before their marriage was consummated. And everyone would know that this uh, child born to them was not Joseph's. And I think it's hard for us in this day and age to understand that kind of level of societal shame. But this is a, a very serious thing for Joseph that would very much affect him and his life. And so that's where we end up with this situation where Joseph 
uh, unwilling to put her to, to shame, resolves to divorce her quietly. It speaks of Joseph being a just man, or the word can also be translated as righteous. Uh, it probably means both, that he is righteous and he is just. He's someone who's concerned with God's law, but also concerned of being righteous before God. And yet he also is one who is merciful. He is genuinely concerned that Mary wouldn't be stoned to death or be brought public shame upon her and her family. And so he resolves that the best way to protect her life and shield her from as much shame as he can, he'll divorce her quietly. You know, we've been, we've been looking at the prophet Hosea, and it, it seems that every time Hosea speaks, he is bringing up the ways in which the people of Israel are unrighteous and wicked. Or even in the rest of the Gospels, we'll see this day-to-day picture of the, the Pharisees who were corrupt, of Israel that is corrupt, failing to live up to God's righteous standards. But yet here, it's, it's wonderful to see at the beginning of, of Matthew's Gospel and Jesus' parentage of trying to live out righteously, but also mercifully. Uh, that Joseph's character is a, as a man who is just, who is righteous, and who is merciful. And so with what he has in front of him, he's trying to do the best that he can. But then God intervenes in verses 21 through 23 with this dream. But as he considered these things, behold, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And again, as you think about the story, suddenly Joseph there mulling this over, he has this uh, uh, amazing dream. And I love the way the text says, behold, it already clues you in a sense that, that we, we are finding ourselves uh, in an, an Old Testament story. An angel has appeared on the scene. And Joseph himself actually must be thinking, I am, I am, am, am finding myself in one of these Old Testament stories. Suddenly, I'm caught up in what God is doing. And so he has this, this dream with this angel speaking to him. And interestingly, the, the, the text says the angel speaks to him as Joseph, son of David. He calls him son of David, I think reiterating Matthew's point that Jesus is the rightful son of David. If his adopted father is a son of David, then Jesus, when he is adopted formally by uh, Joseph, would be a rightful son of David, and which means basically Jesus is the rightful king, something we'll see later on here. But then the angel tells him, he says, do not fear, do not fear. And again, if you're, you're used to the Old Testament when these angels and, and all of their power and they might, they appear before people, they say, do not fear. They usually say that because they are so awesome in splendor that people are naturally afraid of them. But I think it's fascinating here that what he says is, do not fear. He's not talking about his presence. He says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit spirit. And I think what the angel is just reminding Joseph of is do not fear the public shame and ridicule that will come your way by taking Mary as your wife because that which she is bearing is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And again, we've heard this text before, but if you stop and think again from Joseph's perspective, this angel is saying that which Mary is carrying in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity knit together in this amazing supernatural way, this child who would be called 
Jesus. And here at the opening of the New Testament, we, we take all of those Old Testament stories of, of, of difficult pregnancies and of promised children, and suddenly we, we, we take those and now, in a sense, drastically depart from them. That where Isaac was fully human, that where um, Samuel was fully human, here we have fully human and fully God. And also we depart uh, explicitly from any type of, of mythological view of gods and humans coming together to produce these, these uh, superheroes of old. Because here you'll, you'll note the way that Matthew explicitly, explicitly says this was not through any type of sexual relations, but it's simply the Holy Spirit creating in her womb supernaturally this child. And I think this also helps us see how Jesus is born without original sin. It has much less to do with the fact that he didn't have a biological father, but more to do with the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is born without sin. And then the angel continues, you should not fear to take Mary, her, the, the, that which is in her womb, this son who will be born was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He says, she will bear a son, and you shall, name, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the, word, uh, the name Jesus is just the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, which both of them, they mean Yahweh saves. And I think it's, it's no uh, mistake that the, the name that Jesus bears, his Old Testament counterpart, is the one who led his people into the new promised land. When he led them into the promised land was Joshua. And here we have the new Joshua, the better Joshua. And you think back to the genealogies where Matthew highlights the fact that the exile happened, but he never really tells us about the, the exile ending. And I do think that there's some deliberateness in this because here we have in the birth of Jesus, this Joshua, this one who will lead us into a better promised land. And then he appends, because it's not just that Yahweh saves, that Yahweh saves, which is a, a wonderful truth that they know, that the, the, the Israelites would have known, but here he comes to save his people from their sins. You could almost think his, his full name would be expanded out to Yahweh saves his people from their sins. I don't know what that would translate to into Hebrew, but it's also worth noting the way in which Matthew frames this, that Jesus is not coming to free them from Roman rule. He's not coming to free them from any of these types of oppressions that they're uh, experiencing. Rather, he's coming because they need to be saved, not from Roman rule, but from satanic rule. That Jesus is coming in order to save them in such a way that's, that's much bigger than they could have ever imagined. You know, I often think that Christmas... It really is more about incursion into enemy territory uh, than it is about all the lights and all of the fun. It's the, the beach landing into occupied territory. It is Jesus coming into this world in order to save us from the kingdom of Satan. And so then the angel continues. He says, all of this is to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. If you think about this, that there, uh, David's, there would be many sons of David. Uh, David had many wives and many children. 
And so genealogically, there would be many people who would be related to David. In fact, if, if the genealogy in Matthew is Joseph's and Mary's genealogy is in Luke, both of them trace their lineage back to David. So there'd be many uh, children who would be uh, sons of David in that sense. So what makes Jesus special? And I think the angel is trying to bring that out here. One is that his birth is fantastic. There's this fantastic birth. Unlike anyone in history, Isaiah 7 says he will be born of a virgin. But it's not just the fantastic birth, but it's also the fantastic character of the one who is born. Because when, when Matthew, or when the angel here is, is pulling from Isaiah 7, it's only a few verses later when we get to Isaiah 9, speaking of this one who is God with us. Remember the rest of Isaiah 9, the wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father, that this is the one who would be born. But then finally also his fantastic mission, which is to save his people from their sins. And I think the, the angel here, by quoting this one verse in chapter 7 of Isaiah, really has all of Isaiah behind it. And you can think about the ways in which uh, Isaiah has these great promises of not just a suffering servant, but of a new world. Actually, Martin Luther would call Isaiah the fifth gospel because of its clarity about this promised one who is coming. And so in Joseph's dream, we have this wonderful message of God with us. That really everything that God has been promising, all of the types, all of the shadows, everything, the entire culmination of the Old Testament has now come to this point of this miraculous birth. Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 speak of this. But it is fascinating as you move through Isaiah, you do get these themes of a new exodus that is coming, a new, ex, a, a new uh, coming into a new promised land, that all of the problems the world has faced up to this point, all the problems that Israel has faced, all the promises that we have faced, that this birth tells us that everything has changed as we know it, that everything has changed. And so it's in, in light of all of that that then Joseph, when he awakes from this dream, we see his decision in verses 24 through 25. And we see when Joseph wakes from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but did not know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we see again Joseph's righteousness, that as he, he had this message, he had this dream, and clearly, Joseph had to know this was no ordinary dream. He had to know that this dream was different because in this dream, there was this expectation that God was speaking to him and he was, was held to be obedient, that he did not have a choice about what he was supposed to do. He was commanded by God. And so he had to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was speaking to him through this. And then Joseph wonderfully is obedient to this. He takes Mary, and he names the child Jesus. And again, the, the situation that Joseph would be experiencing, this, this dream that he has, is incredibly fantastic. 
Uh, it's incredibly difficult to really wrap your minds around the, the fact that Joseph is being told that what Mary is carrying inside of her is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ, the King, the Son of David, the Messiah, the Savior. That all of these things he has now just been told, <laughs> this is now your adopted son. And Joseph believes, even though it's going to be difficult for him, right? He's still going to have to experience the shame because Jesus will be born before they had consummated their marriage, as the text even says, that he did not know her until she had given birth to a son. So Joseph's obedience here, he, he would have taken on the, the public shame because it would be clear to everyone around there that Jesus is not his biological son. And I think we have to be reminded of the fact that what God's asking him to do is not the easiest task, that he will have to take on some public shame in order to raise this child who isn't his. And yet he, he takes Mary, he adopts Jesus by he gives him the name Jesus, really signifying that he has adopted this child as his own. And so we, we have just really, first off, a wonderful example of righteousness in the face of difficult tasks. Yet what the text is wanting to say to us is not necessarily just Joseph's righteousness, but rather through Joseph's adopted son, through his birth, life, death, and resurrection, would be the ways in which Joseph himself was saved from his sin. And that then Joseph is able to then follow in obedience throughout. And so Joseph does become an example by faith. Because think of the Christian life. In the Christian life, God makes demands upon your life. Jesus speaks of the way in which we need to take up our cross, that for the sake of the gospel, we will bear earthly shame while heavenly glory awaits. You know, I like to think of during this, this time that Joseph certainly likely bore public shame. But that there was this one day when he would enter into glory and he knew at that moment that all that he had hoped for has now come true in his adopted son. I almost wonder, can you imagine Joseph's entrance into heaven <laughs> as he's there seeing uh, his son in his glory? And so if we think about this, right, God makes demands upon our life as, as disciples, as those who follow Christ but we do so because of what he has already done for us, right? This sets the stage for Jesus's ministry. And so on the one hand, God does what he always does. He makes demands upon our lives and then provides the very means by which we're able to accomplish that. Like Joseph is righteous because Jesus has come into this world. That after these decades and decades and decades and decades of waiting and these promises, uh, here, God enters time and space and history in order that he might save us. I think this Christmas, be reminded of the way in which God has come into this world, right? Much more akin to, to a beach landing as a military force tries to, to save an, an occupied territory from evil. And yet the wonders of Christmas is answered in the beginning of the book of Acts. You remember the disciples are standing there looking to the sky as Jesus ascends into glory. And the angels then gathered there say, what are you looking at? Just as he ascended, he'll come again once more. 
And so we, like the disciples, we think of his first coming, but it should move us to be reminded of his second coming, that he is yet still to come once more. And so may we be encouraged this morning to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to remember that that our job is to uh, follow after him as true disciples, but God has provided the way for that through his son. Let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K for more.